All right, folks, let's go ahead and grab our Bibles today. Uh, We're going to be in the book of Psalms again as we continue our series Summer in the Psalms. So Psalm 98, Psalm 98. And uh, if you're wondering why I'm here, not Pastor Derek, just look at Pastor Derek right now. He's he's holding some crutches. Uh, So so I'm filling in and he'll, Lord willing, be back uh, preaching next week. So Psalm 98, uh, this is just a joyful, joyful song. So the title of the message is Reasons for Rejoicing. So if you found Psalm 98, let's stand together. As we read the scriptures, Psalm 98, as we read, you might listen and wonder if this sounds a whole lot like a Christmas song you're probably very familiar with. Psalm 98, hear the Lord's word, a psalm. Sing to Yahweh a new song, for he has done wondrous deeds. His right hand and his holy arm have worked out his salvation. Yahweh has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the eyes of the nations. He has remembered his loving kindness and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a loud shout to Yahweh, all the earth. Break forth and sing for joy and sing praises. Sing praises to Yahweh with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a loud shout before King Yahweh. Let the sea roar as well as its fullness. The world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy before Yahweh, for he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Oh, Lord, we rejoice today that you do reign over all things. You rescue your people. You are going to return and establish your kingdom forevermore. Lord, we rejoice in these things and we pray today as we look at the psalm that you might stir our hearts with joy. That no matter what our circumstances, uh, we can rejoice because of who you are. Lord, may you be at the heart of our praise and at the heart of our joy. May you use your word today to stir us to rejoice in you to love you, to worship you, to look for you, uh, both in our day-to-day lives and as our coming King. Oh, Lord, we pray you might use this psalm to stir our hearts to worship and joy. And God, we pray uh, for the burdens that are before us on our hearts and minds today. There are those who are hurting. There are those who are, are, are suffering in various ways. And we ask for your grace to be poured out on on situations and on 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 pains and on relationships. God, we ask for your help. Oh, Lord, we we pray as well that you would help us uh, this week, that we might leave here today uh, rejoicing in you and we might go tomorrow and rejoice 
as we go about our business and bring glory to you. We pray, Lord, you'd help us as we rejoice over your great salvation, that you would give us opportunities to share our faith with others, to share our joy with others, that they too might see and rejoice in you, our great King who is coming. So, God, we pray that you'd give us opportunities to share the gospel this week and that you might make us effective uh, as we do that, that your spirit would use our testimony of your salvation to bring others to bow before you, our great King. Lord, we ask that you might be magnified in our time, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, you may have guessed or you may not the song that I was talking about, alluding to, uh, Isaac Watts wrote the lyrics for the popular hymn, Joy to the World, based on Psalm 98. He published them way back in 1719, and we are still singing them, often at Christmas time, uh, because that is the time when we recognize Jesus has come. This is the beginning of the Savior arriving and the kingdom eventually being established. But Psalm 98 is actually not about the birth of Jesus. And actually, if you listen to the words of joy to the world, you'll see it's about the kingdom of Christ coming, not necessarily just about the baby born in Bethlehem. If you want to look it up in the hymnal in front of you, it's 224. But it says, joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart Prepare him room and heaven and nature sing and heaven and nature sing and heaven and nature sing. The last verse says he rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love and wonders of his love. Uh, These are words of great joy that come to us based on Psalm 98. Now, Psalm 98 has three stanzas. Depending on your Bible, it may be formatted that way for you, where there's a break between verse 3 and 4, and then again between verse 6 and 7. So it's like three verses of a song. And uh, each of these verses uh, focuses on different things. The first one looks at a past salvation. The second at a, a present kingship, a present rule. And then the last one focuses on a future judgment. The first one is really directed towards Israel. The third or the second towards the nations. And then the third towards all creation. Why should we praise the Lord? Well, the first stanza tells us because he rescues, he saves. Uh, The second tells us how to praise him. The third tells us who should praise him. This psalm is a psalm that is full of rejoicing. You won't find any requests in here. You won't find any complaints about enemies or any problems, any laments like the psalm we looked at last week. It's full of praise to our God. And it's unique if you notice on Psalm 98 right under uh, the, the chapter title in your Bible, Uh, you'll find the title of the psalm where it just says, a psalm. And you're like, 
Wow. Well, that was informative, right? We're in the book of Psalms, and here we find Psalm 98, and it's labeled a psalm. It's the only one that's labeled just like that. It's just the one word in Hebrew, psalm. Uh, Here it is. It's almost like this is the prototype psalm. How do you praise the Lord? Well, look at Psalm 98. It's a great place to look. This psalm is packed full of reasons to rejoice. And I just want to walk through them with you this morning. And I want to rejoice with you. And this psalm encourages actually loud singing and loud shouting to the Lord. Now, I'm not going to ask you to break out in loud singing during the sermon. um, But if you want to say amen or praise the Lord or hallelujah or something along those lines, that's actually what the psalm's telling us to do, to worship God as we hear of his great works, that we would rejoice together. And then at the end, we're going to sing a song, right? That's your time to sing out loudly to the Lord to rejoice in what he has done for us. So three reasons for rejoicing, one from each stanza of this psalm. And first is rejoice for he rescues. He rescues. Verses 1 through 3 give us this picture of God the Savior. Oh, why do we rejoice? Because God saves. Notice verse 1. Sing to Yahweh a new song. A new song. You know, God's people all through existence have written new songs to the Lord. Uh, Isaac Watts, that I mentioned earlier, that wrote Joy to the World, um, he wrote many, 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 many hymns to go along with the sermons. Uh, it was his habit often to try to write lyrics that would go along with the message that he was preaching. Uh, He clearly has far more talent than I do. But not all of those songs survived. He wrote new songs all the time. But some of those songs were so powerful and expressed truth so beautifully, they endured. And here we are, 300 plus years later, singing joy to the world. Uh, The church has the privilege of having a collection of, of songs and the English speaking church in particular has the blessing of having songs for four, five hundred years that saints have been singing. Now, we're not singing all the ones that we, they sang back then, but the best ones, the enduring ones, the powerful ones that spoke beyond just the time that they were written in, those are the ones we sing today. And we've got lots of new songs that we sing, uh, that, that Isaac Watts didn't. And that Charles Spurgeon didn't. And anybody else 50 years ago didn't. And not all of those are going to pass the test of time. But some of these new songs we sing now, if the Lord tarries 100, 150 years from now, they'll still be singing them. And they'll be the classics then, even though they were new the day we introduced them here. But why sing a new song? Why not just sing the old song over and over and over and over again? Well, the old songs are great. But there's new reasons to rejoice. There's new reasons to praise God. Uh, These first three verses, they point to God's salvation that has been worked out. But it doesn't specify a specific deliverance. Uh, This word salvation in the Old Testament is primarily used not in the way you immediately think of salvation. 
It's used in the idea of deliverance. For example, God rescuing his people from Egypt. That was the great deliverance or the great salvation that the nation would point back to all throughout their history and say, look at what God did for us in the past. He delivered us. He rescued us. He saved us. Um, So there's this physical deliverance, but certainly there's a spiritual salvation, a rescue from sin. But the psalmist doesn't pinpoint any one of those. Um, The truth is, there's always new deliverances, always new salvations we can point to. I'm not just saying new people coming to believe in Jesus. That's certainly a cause for new joy. But new deliverances that God does in your life. There ought to be something new that you could give praise to God for. Uh, if, if we were to ask today, uh, everyone, before they leave this room, they have to give us a reason to rejoice. You have to tell us something that God has done for you or you're not getting out the doors. We're bolting them. What would you say? Um, I know this from times that we offer opportunities to give testimony. A lot of times we point back to something old that happened. And that's good, right? We don't want to forget the things that God has done for us in the past. In fact, that's a problem that we forget about them. So remembering the old one, that's good. But there's more than the old stuff, right? How has God been at work in your life lately? What cause of joy could you point to and say, look, this is a situation where I needed God's help and he delivered. He rescued He saved. You know, the more we recognize we need God's help, the more we will see he does, in fact, help. My problem is that I can get kind of self-sufficient. I can approach my problems as though I need to figure it out. I need to solve it. I need to take care of it. And so I'm looking for what I can do or what someone else can do. I'm not looking to God. To be the one who can help. But if I look to God, which I always know is the right place to look, right? And it always comes back to that. Looking to God. And He delivers. He saves. He answers prayer. He hears. He helps over and over. And so this psalm urges you. Sing a new song to God. Yes, you can point to the past and say, He rescued me from my sins and now I'm His child. I hope that's the testimony of every one of us. But what about since then? What has God been doing in your life? How is God working to rescue and to change? The psalm says to sing a new song, for he has done wondrous deeds. Notice verse 2, how it starts off, or I'm sorry, the end of verse 3, how it says his right hand And his holy arm have worked out salvation. Um, We know that God is not a man. God, God is a spirit. That's how God is in every place at all times. How he's omnipresent. That's how he can hear and see all that goes on. So he's not literally a man like me or like you with a right arm. This is language used to describe God, to put in our minds kind of this image 
of the strength of God. That He is actively working here. That He's got His hand on this situation. Maybe you've heard someone pray, Lord, put your hand on this person. Uh, They're not asking God would literally take flesh and bones and put it on them. But it's, it's a picture, right? To say, hey, be with them. Help them. Strengthen them. And so the psalmist says, look, God's deeds show His power. Rejoice over them. God makes known His strength through His works that He does. Rejoice in that. He not only reveals his strength, but verse 2 says he reveals his salvation. He makes that known. And he reveals his righteousness. Notice it says in the eyes of the nations. He shows his strength and his righteousness to the nations. How does he do that? Verse 3 says he has remembered his loving kindness and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. While God has shown salvation to many, there is none that he has shown salvation to more than the nation of Israel. As the psalmist looks around the world, he says, if if anybody could experience the power and might of God, it would be Israel. If anybody could experience God's faithfulness in keeping his promises, it would be the people of Israel. He has remembered his loving kindness to them, his faithfulness. God is a God who keeps his promises. Israel. Well, let's let's back up for just a moment. Psalm 98 doesn't give us any details in the introduction like the psalm we looked at last week. It doesn't tell us when it was written, what was going on. So we don't have a clear picture. What kind of redemption is the psalmist? Uh, or rescue as the psalmist looking back to. It, it could be back to Exodus. It could be any other deliverance from Israel's enemies. It could even be after the exile when God has brought the people back to the land and they're rejoicing that he has not forgotten them. But all along the way, God keeps his promises to his people. He keeps his promises to rescue them. And this God shows in Israel Because he wants the nations to see. God works through Israel because he wants the nations to see. God made a promise to Abraham that he would make him a great nation. He did that. He said, through your seed, all the nations will be blessed. God blessed Abraham to bless all of us. And God saved Israel to demonstrate his salvation To all of us, if God keeps his promises to a disobedient and rebellious people, as you can see in the storyline of the Old Testament, then God can keep his promises to you. Dear friend, this means that if you are in the chains of sin and you long to be free, come to God. He rescues If you have the oppression of the devil that you long to be set free from and you long to walk differently, come to Jesus. He will rescue. He will save. If you are lost, come. If you are bound, come. Come to him. He will be that rock 
of ages that we sang about that cleft for you. He sets people free from the chains of sin. He said, whosoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Come to him. Come to him. God saves. He promises and he will keep it. Rejoice in that. Listen, if you've already come to him, who knows about it? How are the nations going to know? Well, they would hear about God's deliverance from Israel. They would hear how God delivered them from people who witnessed it, people who experienced it. How are the nations around us going to know that God saves? How are our neighbors going to know that God saves? It's through our testimonies. We ought to praise Him every chance we get because God will use that testimony of His deliverance. To let the nations know he saves. So we should ask ourselves, do those closest to us know about God's working in our lives? Have we told the people that we're around the most? Have we told them what God has done for us? Do they know that we needed rescuing and God rescued us? That doesn't mean you have to have some story of having your life in total chaos and ruin and being homeless and live under a bridge and have all of that just to have a testimony. No, it's, it's not like that at all. But can you testify? Can you say, I realized I was a, a rebel against God and I needed forgiveness? I, I, I had no access to God, no peace with God, but Jesus died for my sins. And he promised that all who would come to him in faith, he'd receive. Do you have that testimony? Do others around you know it? We ought to rejoice because God has rescued. God saves. He's delivered. He delivers us from sin. He delivers us from its penalty. He delivers us even from death itself. That doesn't mean we're all going to never physically die. But it means that for the believer, death is not a destination. It's a doorway. We pass from death into life. We pass from this mortal body to the presence of God forever. We leave this world to enter his forever. God delivers That ought to be a reason to rejoice. Jesus is the fullness of this deliverance. Um, Mary, Jesus' mother, recognized this. And and it's probably another reason we sing the song Joy to the World at Christmas time. Because when Mary sings her song of praise, and it's recorded in Luke's gospel, the beginning of it echoes the beginning of Psalm 98. It's the same kinds of things because... Mary knows that this child in her is special because God has told her. God has told her that he's keeping his promises to his people. He's sending a savior that's going to rescue them. And she recognizes that and rejoices and gives praise to God. So we rejoice today. Yes, God kept his promises to Israel. But those promises... We see fulfilled in Jesus 
not all the promises. There's still a kingdom for Israel. But the Savior that was promised to Israel is Christ. The one who would sit on David's throne forever. It's Jesus. And He has come. And He is our Savior. This psalm highlights as well that our rescue needs God's mighty strength. He rolls up his sleeve and shows his powerful arm. Because you cannot bring deliverance. You cannot bring rescue. I cannot save myself. We're saved by grace through faith, not by works which we have done. We're saved by God's grace. God shows his salvation. Verses 4 through 6, we move on to the next part of Psalm 98 and a second reason to rejoice. Rejoice because he rescues and then rejoice because he reigns. Here the call is going beyond Israel. It's going to all the nations, all the people. Rejoice because God is the king. He's not just king over Israel. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. This second section calls for all the earth to rejoice and sing praises to God. And it's to be done with, with music, with song, with, with shouting, with joy, with excitement. The kind of excitement you see when people are excited about stuff. You know what I mean? Like when you, when you get a, a present that you didn't expect and you rejoice, you don't just say, oh, wow, that's really great. I didn't know that was coming. And you're like, oh, that's amazing. And there's some kind of excitement. You know, we all have different personalities and not everyone's going to cry. Not everyone's going to scream and run around like they've just lost their minds. But there's going to be excitement, joy. That's the kind of thing that ought to happen when we think about our God and what he's done. I mean, you can go to a, a sporting event and when the, the team you're cheering for wins, then there's different levels of excitement. Some people are screaming, waving their hands, high-fiving, doing all kinds of stuff, uh, generally being crazy. And then others are just kind of like all happy and smiling and looking around. You know, there's all sorts of different reactions. But there's joy. There's excitement. The psalmist says, God has rescued us. And he's king. Bring out the band. Bring out the excitement. Let's not all sit here and look like we're watching the paint dry. Let's act like something good is happening. God is on his throne. Be noisy. And don't let the Dodgers get all the shouting or the whatever team you cheer for. Don't let them get all the excitement or the enthusiasm. Our Lord reigns. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. And so the psalmist here tells us, commands us in verse 4, Make a loud shout to Yahweh, all the earth. Break forth and sing for joy and sing praises. All right, we're going to do something really crazy. Okay, we are going to try to do what the Bible tells us to do. I know, I know, it's really bonkers. 
Now, this is what we're supposed to do, right? What God says we're supposed to do. So we're going to practice saying praise the Lord with like some gusto, some excitement, like we mean it. All right. We're going to try to do it together. All right. This is not a pep rally, but we're, we're practicing. Okay. On three, we're going to say praise the Lord like we actually are excited about it. Okay. Because he rescues and he reigns. Ready? One, two, three. Praise the Lord. Hey, look at there. That was amazing. Praise the Lord. That's exciting. That's why it's more exciting to go to a ball game and see it in person with a bunch of other people who are excited about it than it is to sit at home and watch it alone on your phone. Right? Because you hear the excitement of others and that encourages your own excitement. It fills your heart with joy. And, you know, that's why at a sporting event, some people will jump up and start cheering and they have no idea what's even going on. Just other people are doing it. So they're like, oh, what's going on? You know, there's enthusiasm. It's infectious. And this psalm is meant to say, hey, let's worship the Lord together and let's not be afraid to let our voice be heard. And when you sing, when you sing, don't sing so softly that your chin doesn't even know you're singing. Right? Don't do that. It's like the only thing that knows you're singing is your breath. You're like singing under your breath. Don't do that. Say, well, I'm not a singer. This psalm doesn't say all you singers sing praise to Yahweh. It doesn't say all of you that are really trained sing out. It's all of us. Some are going to sound better than others. That's okay. And if you sound really bad, don't try to sing louder than everyone else, please. But do sing out. Don't be ashamed to do that. Don't be afraid to do that. We have reason to rejoice. Our king, he reigns over all. The king is the one who saves. That's what makes it so exciting that the king is coming. Because this king is not cruel. This king is not harsh. This king is not coming to destroy and take advantage for himself. This king is not just about getting stuff out of you. No, this king comes to rescue. This king comes to deliver This king comes in righteousness and loving kindness and faithfulness. So rejoice. I don't know what's going on in your life today, but turn your attention from your circumstances to your king. Turn your attention from your situation to the one who is over all. There is reason to rejoice. The one who reigns is the one who rescues. We're told to bring musical instruments here. Uh, Psalm 98 verse 5 says to bring the lyre. Say, what's the lyre? It's a musical instrument, right? Bring trumpets. Bring the sound of the horn. He's saying, gather the things that you use to make music to God and bring them. He doesn't say bring the piano. They hadn't invented that yet. I love the piano. He doesn't say bring uh, every instrument that we have today. He says, bring the instruments, play the music, rejoice in the Lord. 
Lift up your voice. Lift up your instruments. Praise God. So maybe this is a call for you. If you love to worship the Lord and follow the Lord and you play an instrument, we could, you know, potentially use you. Now let us know. We'd love to get more involved in singing and worshiping the Lord because our God is worthy of us bringing everything we've got to give him praise because he is king. Uh, all of these things being brought together indicates that their worship of God is not to be a minor thing that's just kind of thrown together at the moment. Uh, spontaneous worship is great, but this is worship that people are preparing for. They're bringing the instruments. They're coming together. They're singing out to the Lord. But all of them are coming together Verse 6 says, to make a loud shout before King Yahweh. The ones who praise the Lord the best are the ones who bow to the Lord the most. The greatest worship is not solely the instruments or the songs. It's the people Bowing themselves before God. You can have all the greatest instruments and all the greatest voices and all the greatest training, all the greatest skill and miss the whole point of it. So the whole point is to rejoice. Our king reigns. It's hard to rejoice over someone ruling your life if you don't want them to rule your life, right? Everyone here that's older than a teenager was a teenager once, right? You remember that. It's hard to rejoice over being under authority when you don't want to do what the authority says. This call to worship the king is a call to submit ourselves to the king. Those who worship the king best are those who bow to him the most. This is a call to worship. Joy to the world, Isaac Watts wrote. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. This is the call of the psalmist. Rejoice! He reigns. Rejoice! All the nations come. Uh, Yahweh is not just Lord over Israel. He's not some tribal God. No, he is king over all the nations. All should come And worship the Lord. It means you should. Whether you're young or whether you're old, you should bow your knee to the Lord. He is king. Many foolishly try to ignore this reality. They they try to pretend that there is no accountability, no authority. But Philippians 2 makes it very, very clear That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. It says of those in heaven and on the earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He reigns. And and if you don't admit that now, if you don't submit to him now, don't think that means he's not going to reign over you. He still does reign and he will call to account 
But God's people can rejoice. People of all nations can rejoice. Because God rescues those that come to Him in faith. He delivers. He saves. He makes those that were far off part of His kingdom. He makes those that were lost found. He makes the the blind to see, the guilty to be forgiven. Rejoice! Verse 7 through 9 gives us a final reason to rejoice. And that is because He returns. So the first section of this psalm tells us He's God the Savior. The second is He's God the Ruler. And then third, He is God the Judge. Look at verse 7 again. This is where you see the same imagery from joy to the world. Um, where it says, while fields and floods and rocks and hills and plains repeat the sounding joy. Well, verse 7 says, let the sea roar as well as its fullness. The world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy before Yahweh. And we'll look at the reason in just a moment. But just consider these verses for a moment. He is progressing from saying his own people, Israel, ought to rejoice because he's rescued them in the past, to calling all the world to bring all their instruments to worship the king, to now he's calling on water and rocks and dirt and everything to give praise to the Lord. Do you remember when Jesus was ready to go into Jerusalem? It's the day we celebrate the triumphal entry. He comes riding in and everyone's praising him. And the religious leaders kind of get up in arms about this and don't like it and want him to make everyone stop. And you remember Jesus said something like this. He said, well, if they keep silent, even the rocks would cry out. Right? Even the rocks could cry out in praise to God. Like all of creation could cry out in praise. Here is basically what the psalmist is calling for. He's saying, let every splash of water give praise to God. Let the world and all that dwell in it, let them rejoice. This psalm, it looks in stages at what God has done in the past in delivering to rejoicing over Him as King now, and then looking forward with eager anticipation to His return. How many of you are familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia? It's a series of books written by C.S. Lewis. Quite a few of you are. Um, It's also several movies. Um, So if you're familiar with it, you'll get this image. If not, I hope you don't miss it. But in the Chronicles of Narnia, there is a wicked queen who has kind of taken over the land and she is basically an ice queen not like Elsa in Frozen but she's like an ice queen and there's a perpetual winter over the realm Uh, so there's snow everywhere there's ice on every trees it's gloomy it's dark and C.S. Lewis uses this to portray her reign over Narnia it's dark it's gloomy but The hero of the story, a lion named Aslan, is going to come in and he is going to take over the kingdom. 
right? And in, in Lewis's imagery here, the queen is like the, the devil and his rule over the world under gloom. And Aslan is like the Lord that comes to deliver his people. So he deliberately does this in the story. It's pretty cool. But as Aslan comes, guess what begins to happen? The ice on the trees starts melting. It starts dripping down. They start blossoming. The snow begins to melt away. The the frozen rivers break up. The waterfalls begin to come again. And, And by the time Aslan is in the camp, green is everywhere. Everything is blossoming. Everything is flourishing. This is the day that the people of Narnia were waiting for. When everything would be made right again. When the the king would return and he would make things right. It's such a beautiful image of just what Psalm 98 is describing here. It's like the, the earth itself is transforming at the coming of its king. There is joy and rejoicing because the Lord is coming. Dear friends, this is to be our mentality. While we may moan about what we experience now, we rejoice because what we experience now is only for now. It's not for forever. It's not for good. This moment isn't final. This trial is not everlasting. This grief will not endure forever. The King is coming. And when He comes, all will be made right. It says, for he is coming to judge the earth and he will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Uh, What a beautiful, beautiful capturing of this idea. If you would turn with me in the New Testament to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8, I want you to see how Paul describes this same idea. Romans 8. Romans is just a masterpiece of a book laying out God's salvation, our need for salvation how salvation comes through faith, uh, and then even how believers are delivered from sin in their daily life. And so it presents kind of all aspects of our deliverance. So if you have come to Christ as your Savior, you have submitted to Him as Lord, you have trusted in Him as your Savior, then you are forgiven of your sins. You've been rescued from sin's penalty. You will not be punished. There's no condemnation. Christ has paid it all. But then, as a believer in Christ, you still struggle with the power of sin, with temptation. And the process where we grow to be more like Christ, we usually use the word sanctification. It's the process of becoming holy. It's the process, really, of God rescuing us from our sins day by day, where we're no longer bound by that anger that marked us in the past. Or we're no longer bound by that discontent. We are growing more like Jesus in these things. But then Romans goes beyond that and points to the future 
when we are delivered from the very presence of sin, where sin itself is eradicated and we struggle with it no more. Notice Romans 8 and verse 18. This is a verse that's so powerful. Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Notice he says creation here is anxiously longing. The earth itself, if you picture Narnia, the the grass under the snow is longing for the sun to come out, for it to melt away. It's longing to break forth. Those buds in the tree are just dying to press their way out and, and blossom and flourish. He says in verse 20 of Romans 8, For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Creation was affected by sin and the fall and God's judgment on sin. You remember back in the garden, Adam and Eve, they were put out of the garden, but also God said he would curse the ground, right? And there'd be thorns and there'd be thistles and Adam would have to work very hard to get produce out of the ground. So creation itself affected by sin. But look at verse 21. Paul's looking forward. He says that creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the spirit. Those who are saved, we have the spirit in us. Even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. Now, there's a lot of theology here, but Paul is pointing forward to our glorification. So we usually use these terms to talk about how God saved us from our sins and its penalty, salvation, how God is saving us now from sin's uh, power in our lives. We call it sanctification. And then how God will save us from the presence of sin entirely, glorification, where our bodies will no longer have the effects of sin. There'll be no more swollen, painful knees. Hallelujah. Uh, Rejoice. Rejoice. He returns. There'll be no more cancer. There'll be no more suffering. He'll wipe all tears from our eyes. And and it's not just solving our problems, but reading Romans 8 and reading Psalm 98. it's, It's the very fabric of the universe transformed. The very cellular level of everything that exists is made whole And perfect again, there is a new creation, a renewal of life itself when the king comes. This is so much bigger, so much bigger than just running to God with your current problem and asking him to help. Can God help with our current problems? Yes. Should we run to him? Yes. I think I preached on that last week, right? We should. 
but it's way bigger than our current situation. What God is doing in the world. And the psalmist in Psalm 98 points us to that. I I believe that's why Psalm 98 has no complaints about the world. Because the focus is all on Yahweh. The one who rescues, the one who reigns, the one who rules over all. The one who is coming again and he will establish a kingdom where there will be no reason for anything but rejoicing. So Psalm 98 gives us nothing but joy about our king. This is why, this is why young person, adults plead with you. Follow God. Seek God. You've got voices all around you calling you to follow after the things of the world, telling you that this is the way to happiness and joy. But, but we say, no, no. No, the real joy is found in our King. The real joy is found in coming to Him, in trusting in Him. He rescues. He saves. He rules over all. And when He comes, there will be no unjoy to be found. There will be no unsatisfaction to be had. There will be no pleasure that is good and holy to be missed. Because when he comes in his presence is fullness of joy. Do you believe that's coming? That ought to shape our every act of worship now. If the psalmist is calling on this reality that the king is coming, as he does in verse number nine, he calls uh, at the end of the verse, for he is coming to judge the earth. This is the reason he gives for telling the sea to roar, for telling the, the, everything in the world to rejoice, the rivers to clap their hands, the mountains to sing. It's because he's coming. Friend, this is why you should get up in the morning. Because he rules, he reigns, he's returning. This is why you should try again to share the good news of the gospel with others. Because he rules, he reigns, he's returning. He will rescue them if they cry out to him. They can know uh, joy and blessing that will never end if they come to him. He's the reason we ought to go to work is because we're anticipating the day when we will work in perfect joy and blessing in His presence. He's the reason we are to love one another, because we will be together with God's people for everything. This forward focus should channel our focus right now. That we look forward to the day that the King will come. This great joy, of course, is for those who submit to their king. So there's a call to each one of you. I I don't know each of you, and certainly I don't know the hearts of you. It's it's easy to hide what's really going on in our heart. If you need to submit yourself to Christ the King, then you need to do that today. Because He is returning. And there will be blessing for all that have turned to Him in faith, but there will be judgment. Just as there is no evil 
uh, coming for those in Christ, there is no good coming for those who rebel against him. There is judgment. You need to turn to him. You need to believe in him. If you have put your faith in Christ, you've got a new song to sing. You need to make that known. Because God always intends to work through his people so that other people see his salvation. He intends to work through you to show his glory to others. So pray. Pray and ask him to do that. Pray and ask him to make himself known. Your king is coming. This this year, this Christmas, when you hear Joy to the World, or when we sing it together, or maybe you're one of those Christmas music all the time people, the next time you hear Joy to the World, think about the kind of joy that's being talked about. It's more than a baby in a manger. It's a king on a throne. It's evil vanquished. It's every bit of existence crying out in joy. To God, because he rescues, he reigns, and he will rule forever. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Oh, Lord, we rejoice. We rejoice. We praise you. We lift our hearts to you, our king. I pray today you use the words of this psalm to stir in us. A loud singing. A loud living. That you are our king. We are not ashamed of it. We want the world to know that there is no one like you. You rescue, you reign, and you are coming to rule forever and ever. Help us to live in light of these things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.